Okay, welcome back to another episode of The Millennial Entrepreneur. My name's Sina, and in this episode, I am talking to Timmy, also known as Mr. Money Jar. He has started an initiative to educate people on personal finance. He has grown his following rapidly and has educated many young people on topics such as pensions, savings, best ways to save up for a house, making money, and much, much more. In this episode, we talk about how he got the idea to start Mr. Money Jar, while sharing secrets on how to make money easily using free cash bonuses from banks. This is one that I've personally used a lot of. (laughs) How the government can cover 40% of the value of a new house you buy. Uh, We go through the scheme and, you know, how to make use of it. And more guidance around the topic of personal finance. This is an episode that I thought would be really valuable for young people to listen to um, because... I get a lot of questions as well from my friends about stuff like this because I'm, I'm very much on it. And so, yeah, I thought it'd be really good to talk to Timmy to help some other people who, who want to know more about it. And if you do, you know, if people out there do want to know more about personal finance tips and, and stuff like that, um, let me know and I'll, I'll, I'll book some other people in who, who I think would be really valuable for that sort of thing. It's a bit of a different podcast, but I thought it'd be really valuable for people to listen anyway. This week's shout out... So every week, in case you don't know, uh, I'm doing a shout out to someone who has either left a review on the podcast, on Apple Podcasts, that's, that's where all the mainly re- the reviews come from, or has left me a message or a DM on Instagram. I'll give a shout out to those as well, if you're on Android especially, because you can't review it on Apple Podcasts, unfortunately. But if you want a shout out in the next episode, be sure to put a review, written review on Apple Podcasts with your name, obviously, and I'll give you a shout out in the next episode. So this week's shout-out actually goes to someone who hasn't left a review. Well, he has, but ages ago. But he's made a bit of money on his podcast, and I really wanted to uh, highlight him. So it's good, my, my good friend Stock Stockdale. And, yeah, he's got a podcast called Entrepreneurs Can Party. Check that out. I'll leave a link in the description. And, yeah, he, he does a very similar thing to what I'm doing, except he covers entrepreneurs and very light-hearted it's very uh it's very you know entertaining and, and he gets loads of really good guests on so yeah be sure to check that out and i just wanted to give him a shout out because he's been working really hard trying to grow the the, the audience and putting out really good content and and as a fan i appreciate it it's really good so yeah keep doing what you're doing scott it's it's really good also a special announcement this is a new microphone i've got a new microphone set up let me know if it's any good if it's just the same or if it's worse i don't know <laughs> i think it's pretty good i'm pretty happy with it um the sound quality is going to be better from now on i know before i wasn't you know 100 happy with the sound quality so i'm very happy about the sound quality now it's, it's improved a bit and yeah once i work out the softwares and stuff i think it'll get any like even better so next thing is if you haven't already followed us on the po- on the podcast instagram page be sure to follow us on there because that's where all the new episodes get announced along with all the previews and things all that good stuff is there and without further ado let's get on with the episode hey timmy how's it going hey Cena. all good how are you yeah really good thanks really excited to have you on the podcast um i don't know what to call you though because because uh <laughs> you've got basically a stage name it's like mr money jar or, or timmy do I call you like Mr. Money Jar? Do I call you Mr. Jar? Do I call you Timmy? <laughs> well, you can call me uh, Timmy for this interview. Okay, cool. So basically, why don't you just start off with like what you like? What is it that you do? Right. So I I run Mr. Money Jar, which is a financial education company for people in the UK, and I do a lot of 
um, digital content, teaching workshops, and one-to-one coaching on personal finance, investing, and property. Sounds good. This is this is why I really wanted to have to have you on the podcast because, like, I actually had this this conversation with my friends a few days ago. I was like, yeah, there's no like education when it comes to pers- like personal finance or any of this stuff in school, and I like I don't know why because like they. I remember in school we learned about so many different things. We learned about like, uh, you know, why not to get into drugs? Why like not to you know do do loads of drinking and stuff? And we learned all of that stuff, uh, but we never learn about stuff like personal finance. And I and I really don't know why. Yeah, I think there's a lot of things at play there. I think firstly, um, there is an extent to which yes, it's the responsibility of schools, but you know, finance, a lot of what people learn about finance, they learn about at home. Um, Personal finance is part of the national curriculum and has been since 2014, but a lot of the reading I've done around it suggests that schools don't have the necessary resources or training to teach it. And um, I was speaking to my brother the other day, he's he's, um, in year year 10, and he said he wasn't learning anything either. So I'm just... I try as much as I can to speak to him about this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, cause I like, it's not that long ago that I was at school and I definitely didn't learn any of this. Like it's only when I went to university and so I did an economics degree and I learned about stuff like, so I did a module in taxation and I learned so much about, you know, how to do personal, you know, your own taxes. But I was just thinking like, it's not that difficult like you could easily teach you know some of this stuff in school so people have a good foundation because once they get to you know working or or like being self-employed they have to do it all themselves and it's just like how the like how do you do this yeah well you know that you know there's a there's kind of two sides to it um yes on the one hand schools aren't teaching this stuff but on the other it, there is definitely a need for it, and that's what enabled that's what's enabled people like me to um, to to do what I do. And I, I partner with organisations. Um, I've partnered with Young Enterprise, with My Bank, a youth charity, with um, a social enterprise called Two to Three Degrees to teach workshops to young people, and they're super engaged. So. Um, Hmm. you know where the schools aren't able to do it there have been other people to step forward in that space it's at least good to know that you know they do know that they need to do this and they have that responsibility so they're getting people like yourselves to to do it is it primarily young people that you know that you help um so age range of people i've spoken to go from anywhere from um you know teenage so sort of 16 years old um to 25 and um, anywhere all the way up to, to to 40 year olds um i think that there's this kind of shared wow. need to to want to talk about money we're all facing very similar challenges at the end of the day you know budgeting um saving investing mm, yeah. all of these things are, are quite universal so what's the sort of like number one thing that people ask you like yeah, what's what's a young per what's a typical young person's personal finance question? Typically, the younger people want to learn how to make more money. Um, so that's questions around setting up a business, <laughs> yeah. um, selling stuff online, um, that sort of thing. Older people are more interested in money management. So um, 
what to do with the money that they're earning. And that makes sense, right? You know, the younger you are, the less disposable income you'll have. And as you get older, you'll start to get paid a bit more, but might not necessarily know what to do with it or how to manage it. So what's the sort of like number one thing you say to those people from, you know, the people that want to make money? Because I assume there's a lot of people, well, I know there's a lot of people in the audience right now listening that <laughs> they would want to do that. And what do you, would you say to the people that, like want to manage their money better so on the making money point one of the simplest ways to make money and something that i do a lot is to look at the stuff that you already have so with services like ebay gumtree um, facebook marketplace you can take items that are sitting around your house and sell them online for literally hundreds of pounds i um, once had a pair of timberland boots that i didn't really wear that much they were just sitting under the bed for like two, three years, and I took a photo of them on my smartphone and put them on eBay and sold them for something like 70 or 80 quid. So it's about looking about looking at the stuff that you have that isn't being used all that much. On the money management side, money management is super simple and essentially boils down to spending less than you earn. And you can ensure that you always spend less than you earn by, <laughs> instead of saving at the end of the month, after you've spent everything, save on the day that you get paid and try and save as close to 10% at least of your income as possible. What about stuff like investing in like stocks and shares, investing in some other things? Yeah, so investing is very important as well. And the earlier on you can start investing in your, um, your kind of lifetime, the better your investments will perform um, because of compounding. But um, when it comes to investing mm. people, I don't know whether it's because people are used to using services like Facebook and Snapchat and, um, and so on, that people want to go directly into stocks and shares. My personal view is going directly into stocks and shares is a bit like swimming for the first time and jumping into the deep end. You want to invest in um, yeah. funds if you can. You recommend yeah. funds. Yeah. Which are okay. baskets of... Um, kind of investments which are diversified and won't go completely to zero because the performance of the fund will depend on the average of all of the companies in the fund. And then you can work your way up to individual companies as you continue to learn and do your mm. research. And another thing as well, <laughs> you're actually speaking to the right person here. I, I am very much like on it with, with okay. this sort of stuff. And the thing, the thing is with funds is that um, over, say, a 30-year horizon, they will always they will always do well like they they historically have always yeah. done well by the way i have to say this isn't financial advice but that's just like what the data suggests um so and i know with a lot of like pension plans uh like even yeah over the 30 year horizon they always do like pretty well um but i i do stuff like that and i also do like peer to peer investment okay. Um, which is pretty, pretty cool. I quite like that. Um, and then also anything else that I want, you know, being liquid, I put in a current account that pays a high interest. There's there's current accounts like TSB that pays, I think, 3%. It doesn't sound, you know, terribly high, but if you compare it to other accounts in the UK, it's, it's you know, it's pretty high because a, a lot of accounts right now, they, they do 0.05. Yeah, like, even if they provide you interest, it's interest really is awful. Interest very low at the moment. Um, yeah. And it's, yeah, yeah, exactly. And a lot of young people don't realize that it's actually really easy 
well, not just young people, people in general, it's very easy to switch your bank account. Um, and you can get these, these interest rates, you know, very easily. Yeah, so um, yeah, let, let, let's break down some of the stuff you said. So um, when you're saving, um, I like to think of putting savings into three pots. And you've touched upon each of them. Um, short-term savings, medium-term savings, and long-term savings. Now, your short-term savings, um, you know, these are typically called an emergency fund or a rainy day fund. This is money that you're putting away to use in case something goes wrong or you need to make a big purchase at short notice. And, you know, there's no need to be prescriptive about this. You can have a, an emergency fund of, you know, 500 pounds, a thousand pounds or equivalent to three, six or 12 months of expenses. But having this cash buffer will enable you to weather um, rainy days like what a lot of people would have experienced over the recent um, coronavirus lockdown period. And you want to put that money into, as you said, you know, an easy access savings account, something that's liquid, to use your word. Once you filled mm -hmm. up that yeah. short term pot, then you want to save for medium term goals, like could be going on holiday, buying a car, saving for a house deposit. And then any money over and above that should be going into your long term pot. So going into funds. And as you said, you were speaking about 30 years. But that is a, a fairly typical investment time horizon. And um, as we said previously, the earlier the start and the longer the, you leave the investments for, the better they tend to perform. Yeah, and something really cool as well, um, you know, looking at the data, looking at the statistics, is that the market, when you put, when you put your money into a fund, generally it does better than most you know, people that are experts in stockbroking. Yeah. Which is which is really cool for yeah. me to see. It means that anyone yeah, can do it. Yeah, there's an awesome article actually. I'm sure you've heard of Warren Buffett, the uh, U.S. investor. Yeah, he he did a 10-year bet with a hedge fund manager, and he said that just a standard fund would would pick uh, would beat um, this hedge fund manager who was picking the individual stocks. And they they literally did this bet over 10 years, and Warren Buffett won. I think he won like. A million dollars or something for it like he there was like a bit of a payout as a result of the bet but it's like yeah people professional stock pickers generally tend to under underperform um you know just a simple tracker fund simply because it's very difficult to predict the future and people who pick stocks individually have to deal with a lot more fees than people who invest in cheap funds. Yeah, well, fees is one thing, but it's the time as well to become, say, you know, an expert in this because, you know, the time that you want to put into actually, you know, researching the stocks, looking at the economy, looking at the market, that takes up a lot of time. And knowing that you can just put it in a fund that will just, you know, over the long term, that will weather the, weather the storm, uh, that will also, you know, do generally better than a lot of stockbrokers... For me, that just signifies that anyone can do this today. You don't need to be an expert. And for me, that's a really beautiful thing that, you know, any young person listening, once they, you know, get um, an income, they can reinvest a lot of that into into the stuff we yeah, just talked about. Yeah, but let's about. not forget about the most important or one of the most important things for young people who might be listening to this, which is pensions. So when it comes to investing, there's a lot of emphasis put on signing up to investment platforms and um 
you know, picking funds, picking stocks, your pension is going to be one of the most important financial products you put your money into. And if you pay into a pension, that money's invested. So essentially, you're an investor. And if you start a job and you earn over £10,000 a year, you will be automatically enrolled into a pension. Um, now, the good thing about pensions is that you put in money, but your employer has to put in money and the government also puts in money as well. You may not be able to access the money until uh, later on in life. At the moment, the, the age of access is 55 years old, but it's well worth looking at. Um, because of the additional contributions you get from your employer and from the government. I haven't actually looked into this. I, <laughs> it's one of the things I haven't looked at. Uh, should I be doing anything? Should I, you know, should people listening should be doing anything about, you know, pensions? Uh, so, what what's your current setup then? What do you what do you currently do? So I'm I'm due to start a job in September, um, and then that's when you know the salary will come yeah. in and all of that. Cool. So when you start your job. As long as you're earning over the, that £10,000 threshold, you'll, be, you'll automatically be set up on your company's pension plan. Now, one of the things that you might want to do is speak to the HR department and ask them how much you're putting in and how much you're, they're putting in as your employer. Because some employers, you know, the minimum that needs to go in is an 8% uh, equivalent of your gross salary. Five of that comes from you and the government and 3% comes from your employer. But a lot of employers will actually pay in more if you pay in more. So when you start, ask them if you increase your pension contributions, what level they will match um, you up to. And it's free money. And, you know, that's that's kind of the uh, crux of it. Is it always better to contribute more? If you can. Okay. Okay, cool. Because I know you can contribute. Well, I don't know about... I need to I need to actually look at it because I haven't looked at it too much and like I've signed the contract and stuff but um yeah I need to properly look at this because and I think a lot of people because one of my friends as well he, he recently started a job and he just saw it as like them because <laughs> I don't know people are very like myopic so they don't really look into the future yeah. too much and um so my friend my friend was just like yeah it's like they're just taking money away from me now so it's not like really worth it um, so I think, yeah, that right. really does so, exist. Great. I don't know what else we're going to talk about on this podcast episode, but I can safely say that what I'm about to say now is going to be the most important thing that I say this episode. Your pension money is not being taken away from you. It's just being put into a separate account that you can't access until um, you get to your retirement age but the money is still yours and you can still um, log into your pension account and check the contributions and check and see how the investments have performed. Um, you know, the state pension, which was introduced um, just after the, well, the new state pension, as it's called, was introduced just after the Second World War. And at the time, people didn't live or work for as long as we do now. And it's very, very unlikely that the state pension will exist in its current form by the time we get to state pension age, which I believe at the moment is 66. So a lot of us are going to be relying solely on our own workplace pensions, which we will have been paying into through our jobs. So 
I, I, you know, I think it would be um, a mistake to not at least ask the questions when you get to, to a new job or if you're in your current job. Timmy's created a really cool brand for himself where he, you know, advises people on their personal finance. And I really wanted to find out more about how he's got to where he is with such a large following and, you know, continuing to create value for young people and older people every day. So Mr. Money Jar was born out of, um, you know, the sense that I didn't know stuff that I needed to know. So I like you were starting a new job and they just kind of send you this wad of paper and you don't read about the pension stuff. I knew that I was supposed to be investing, but I didn't really know how. And so I set up Mr. Money Jar as a way to share my experiences with people. And um, like I've made a lot of mistakes over time, you know, in investments and, and saving and money management and with debt. And I just wanted to make sure that people who were, uh, in a similar situation to me or that were younger than me didn't make the same mistakes that I did. Mm, yeah, that's good. Well, and how did, how, how did it like originate? What were the first sort of steps to starting this? Was it literally from like an Instagram page? Yes, I've been running it for a year and I set up an Instagram page last July, so July 2019, and I started a monthly meetup. Okay. So every month, um, and I ran it in Brixton. We would meet up and we talk about a different personal finance or investing topic, but we tried to keep it fun. So it'd be, you know, how to book a holiday on the cheap or how to make the most out of your bills and, and subscriptions and ran it monthly until this year, until unfortunately um, it, we, we couldn't meet in, in person anymore um, due to the virus. But I still continue to teach workshops online. And if you go on my Instagram page, there's loads of content there about how to make the best use of your money. What's the, I really want to get into this because this is something that I'm really looking, well, I have really looked into before. Cool. What is the sort of like um, best kept secrets or tricks that you know, you've discovered on your journey of like, uh, you know, helping younger people with you know personal finances because one thing that i've discovered that i feel like well, i'll say what i've discovered and then you can talk about cool. what you have but one thing i've discovered that i think is you know majorly underutilized and i think is you know it's an amazing thing is that loads of banks have a switching process so like a seven all you have to do is sign up on the bank's current account and and it switches your account to them you know automatically very easy and when you switch, they just give you some like free money. Oh, yeah. Like they they gave me like a hundred and fifty pounds, I think TSB or Nationwide. I can't remember which one it is. They always they always yeah. change around. But you, all you have to do is just like look on Google, look at the the bonuses, and and literally like there's no that I mean there are like terms and conditions for it. But if you if you actually read them or if you talk to one of the you know the bank people about it. They're, like it is just free money they they give they they just literally transfer you 100 pounds into your account and that's it i mean the all the services that the banks give are pretty much the same anyway like all you want is to be able to pay easily and and all of that stuff i mean and the interest but if they're giving you free money then yeah it's amazing that's a really good point cena um and banks banks will do that because they want your custom they know that if they can woo you with that 100 or 150 pound switching bonus 
you might be a customer who one day takes out a mortgage with them or, you know, takes out a credit card or a loan with them. So um, it's them investing in you to keep you on as a customer. Mm. But there are some people that are quite clever with this and they're, you know, what what we call serial switchers. So they'll switch banks <laughs> every <laughs> six to 12 months, <laughs> making sure that they meet all of yeah, the requirements. And you can literally make hundreds of pounds doing this. Now, this is, this is um, obviously, you can make a lot of money doing this, but one of the things you want to be careful of is that when you open a new bank account, you typically um, will see uh, your credit score impacted for six months. So if you're switching repeatedly, it may hurt your, um, your credit history in the short term. That's the first thing to watch out for. The second thing to watch out for is that having a, a bank history, you know, your transactions, your income, your outgoings is very important when you're doing something like buying a house because people will want to see, where, you know, your affordability, affordability criteria and so on. And if you've been switching banks and switching banks and you haven't been saving your bank statements, you may not have any proof of your transactions so if you're going to do the serial switching thing, do it, but make sure that you have your main bank account that you do your day-to-day banking in. Mm. No, it's great advice. And it's something that I definitely do as well because, um, well, firstly, I've thought about this and I'm not buying a house anytime soon, so I know I can I can do this yeah. now. And also, I don't switch one of my accounts and that's the one that I do all my daily transactions with and all of the you know in, in-goings, outgoings, all of that. So yeah, I, I know this stuff Thank as well. Um, but how about so? How about your secrets, the ones that you've discovered that you think people would love yeah. to hear? So this is something that I wish I'd learned much, much earlier on as a young person, and it's that not all debt is bad. There's good debt and there's bad debt. Bad debt is debt that costs you loads of money and in interest. Debt that debt that you take out to buy things that you can't afford. Um, and you know, you want to avoid that at all costs. You don't want to be borrowing money to pay for things you can't afford and then eating interest charges month after month, but there's good debt as well. And you can actually turn bad debt into good debt. So I had an overdraft once and I was being charged overdraft fees every month. And, um, I was signed up to an app called Emma. And it kind of, it's like a kind of budgeting app and it tells you how much bank fees you've paid. And it told me that I paid over a hundred pounds worth of bank fees over the course of a year. So what I did was I took out a money transfer credit card, 0%. And that's basically a credit card that allows you to withdraw the money from it. I used that money to pay off the overdraft in full. And then that left me with just having to make um, the minimum monthly payments on the 0% card. So I eliminated my fees and I lengthened the amount of time I needed to pay off the debt. And this, again, you can just find out what the best um, credit cards are on Google. And a lot of them will have 0% periods for as much as um, mm. you know, 24, 26, 28 months. So yeah, just about really realizing nice. that 
money isn't good or bad um, necessarily. Debt isn't good or bad necessarily. It's all about how you use it and it's all about how you manage it. Okay, Timmy, I know a lot of people listening, especially myself, are thinking of buying a house. Okay, Timmy, I know a lot of people listening, especially myself, are thinking of buying a house sometime in the future. And there's a lot of confusion around with, like, even myself, I've looked at this a lot. So there's, like, there's the help to buy ISA, there's this government help to buy scheme, there's the lifetime ISA. I don't really see much of a difference between, you know, the two of them. Can you clear this up for us? Like, how... Yeah, like, what's the best thing young people can use to buy a house in the future? Sure. So it, it is confusing because a lot of these different schemes and accounts use the same names. Some um, are still open, some are not. The key difference between the government's help to buy scheme and the help to buy ISA and the lifetime ISA is that the help to buy scheme is a government equity loan scheme, um, whereas the help to buy and the lifetime ISAs are types of bank accounts that you can use to save up for a house deposit. So with the help to buy equity loan scheme, the government lends you up to 20% of the value of your house, 40% if you're in London, to the cost of your newly built home. This is advantageous to you because instead of having to come up with the 10 or 15% deposit, you can buy a house with a 5% deposit um, which is a huge saving for a lot of people. Um, the only catch is that the government then owns that portion of your house and you do need to pay that loan they've given to you back. Um, and if you go to helptobuy.gov.uk, there's a full breakdown of when you have to repay and the way that the loan breaks down. The help to buy and the lifetime ISAs are what, people in in your position would use to save up that chunk of money to put down as a deposit. Average property price in London is around the 400, 450k mark. I think nationally, it's around the 250k mark. So if you're wanting to put down a 10% house, house deposit, you're looking at anywhere from, you know, 20 to 40k. So you can um, so if we, if we start with the help to buy ISA, that closed to new applicants in November, but essentially it was, you put away 200 pounds a month, um, including a one-off 1000 pound a month in the first month, and you could save up to 12 grand. So it would take you about four and a half years and the government would give you a 25% bonus when you came to buy your house. I think. Uh, they introduced that in two, 2015 or 2016. And then last year they closed it. And what we're left with is a lifetime ISA. The lifetime ISA is a product where you can save four grand per tax year. So from um, April to March. And the government will pay you a 25% bonus on that four grand. So if you put in the full four, the government will give you a grant. Now, the advantage of the lifetime ISA over the help to buy ISA is that with help to buy ISA, you had to put in 200 pounds a month, every month. And if you missed a month, then you couldn't make it up, so to speak. With the lifetime ISA, yeah. you can put in the four grand whenever you, you know, whenever you want. So you can be four grand on the first month or you can split it into equal payments. Oh, that's yeah. cool. 
and the 25 and the lifetime ice is still open yeah lifetime ice is still open last i checked the best provider for it was uh, Moneybox because not only do you get the government bonus but you also get any interest attached to that lifetime ISA account as well. So, you know, if you save and, and you can do it with um, with a uh, with a partner, so you and uh, another person could both be saving into um, a lifetime ISA together. Okay, cool. That's kind of cleared up actually. But um, so, what sort of like tips, advice would you give to young people who want to buy a house sometime in the future? What should they do? What should they be doing like now? Should they be making use of these schemes? Yeah, um, yeah now? you should. You should. If you definitely want to buy a house, do make use of these schemes um, because you know with a lifetime ISA that's five grand a year. So you need to just do the maths and say, if I can save four grand a year and get an extra one grand. Um, every year, how much, you know, how many years will I need to save for before I can put down money for a deposit? The thing to be aware of is that there is a there's a price threshold. So, with a lifetime ISA for houses in London, um, the house has to be worth four hundred and fifty grand or less. Um, yeah. And one of the tricky things is when you're saving towards the future. Um, the rules could change. I mean, I would expect to see that 450 50 grand go up over time um, because mm. property tends to become more expensive. There's also another interesting thing around with everyone working from home, what does that mean for living in London versus not living in London? Um, will there be less of an yeah. emphasis on where people live and will that affect house prices? That remains to be seen. The last thing... Yeah, that's a good point. Um, to mention is that uh, Rishi Sunak a few weeks ago um, slashed stamp duty on homes um, under 500k. Um, essentially, because I'm, I'm buying a house at the moment. And what happens is you save up your deposit, you apply for a mortgage from the bank, and then after you've paid for the, you know, the, the, property costs, the solicitor's fees, and any um, kind of mortgage advice fees, if you have those, after you bought the house, you then have this huge tax bill to pay for. And for many people, this can run them in the thousands of, of pounds. By raising the threshold on um, properties to 500k, it means that if, you, if your property is 500k or less, you don't have to pay any stamp duty. And that's a huge win for people who are buying between now and March 2021. Yeah, I think that's quite good. The one I really like is the help to buy scheme. So the one where the government gives you a 20% if you're outside London and 40% if you're inside London um, to the to the you know to the value of the property. And then you, there's no interest or anything. There's no you know fees that you have to pay for five years. No, it's five, it's five years. I'm pretty sure. Um, yeah, five years, and then after five years, interest and repayments. But well, I mean, I guess for me, I'd look at that and be like, yeah, after five years, I'll probably sell the property, hoping the property's gone up in value, so the equ they can they can get their equity. You pay back the bank with the price of the house that you sell, and then you're left with like a wherever the value went up in the property as a percentage increase. Um, and then you can go for a mortgage on another one. 
that's what that's my thought process with it i know people who've used the house to buy scheme and have been able to buy houses that they otherwise wouldn't have okay cool if there's one thing you want people to take away from this podcast because we're, we're going to cool. wrap up soon uh what should it be like what 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 sort of advice do you think i think um, when it comes to managing money a lot of it is common sense and because of the internet um, Google, YouTube, great websites like Money Saving Expert, the Money Advice Service. Um, you can find out a lot of stuff on your own. There are loads of content creators on Instagram and YouTube who specialize in different niches, and I'd recommend checking them out as well. Um, and, you know, when it comes to things like investing, paying into your pension, saving, you really want to bed in these habits from early because um, once once you get later on in, in your career, you'll just be very thankful that you started a really good savings habit or really good investing habit. Yeah, really good advice. So how can people stay in touch with you, stay in, <clears throat> stay in touch with what you're doing in the in the meantime um, to keep yeah, in touch so, with you? Um, I, I'm mainly on Instagram at the moment, so you can find me at Mr. Money Jar. And, um, yeah, I, I create content regularly on personal finance and investing topics. I like to keep it fun and, um, I'm always happy to take a, a DM or a, or a comment from someone. Okay, sweet. Nice one. Thank you so much, Timmy, for coming on. And yeah, it's been a massive pleasure. Awesome. Thanks Sina. again. Thanks for having me. Okay. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of a manual entrepreneur. It was an absolute pleasure talking to Timmy. I really think that this episode will be really useful to some of you. Uh, that's just because it was useful to me. But I definitely learned a lot because I'm always looking for, for ways to improve my personal finance game. And if, you know, this is the sort of episode that you think would be really useful, you know, more of this sort of thing, let me know in Instagram DMs. And yeah, I'll, I'll look into sort of, yeah, branching out and exploring this sort of thing as well. Because, you know, personal finance is really, really important as we mentioned before it's not covered in schools so you know people like Timmy have to step in to to really educate people because it's something that's really really needed be sure to follow him on Instagram as well as you know the the podcast page um at the millennial entrepreneur pod and his his Instagram will be in the in the description if you did enjoy please be sure to leave a five-star written rating on Apple Podcasts and if you do you'll get a shout out by me at the start of the next episode And once again, my name's Bencina and thank you so much for tuning in. I'll see you in the next episode.